0: Well hello and uh, welcome to another episode of uh, GUcast. Uh, this is Declan Murphy, a urologist uh, here at Peter Mac um, and I'm very excited about uh, today's edition. Something a little different uh, in terms of our panellists uh, and our theme. Uh, isn't that right Renew?
1: Absolutely, today's going to be a good one. Something different.
0: So, of course, I'm joined as ever by uh, Dr. Renu Epen, uh, co-host of GUcast and uh, urologist here at uh, Peter McCallum uh, Cancer Centre. Um, and in studio at Peter Mac today, we have two of our nursing uh, colleagues, um, uh, Emma Birch. Hello, Emma.
2: Welcome, Emma hi guys good (laughs) there
0: you go don't be afraid of that microphone it loves you already (laughs) Um, Emma Birch um, uh, who we'll chat a little bit more about in a second and Mark Diocera another one of our nurse colleagues here at Peter Mac hello Mark hello everyone hi Mark so why have we got these two particular nurses uh, in studio uh, today, Renew? I suppose it's because they are uh, integral in our um, prostatectomy program. We are a high-volume uh, prostate cancer center, as you all know, um, and it takes a lot of effort to put that together. So what we want to talk about today is um, the theme is preparing for prostatectomy. So myself and Renew are sitting here as the co-host, but also as surgeons who do a lot of prostate cancer surgery here at Peter Mac.
1: That's right, and, and I think we all appreciate that... Uh, Preparing for for the surgery, um, knowing what to expect and managing those expectations is as important as as well-conducted surgery or treatment.
0: And look, come on, as, as surgeons, we tend to have a rather narrow gaze sometimes, a narrow that's focus. Right. We're looking at the cancer, you know, then that we tend to be very consumed by that. We can see there's a cancer, it's clinically significant, is it left or right or near the bundle, blah, 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 blah. There's all sorts of things we focus on. Uh, but what um, we want to do today is expand beyond that. Isn't that's that right.
1: I mean, we're very good at giving, giving stats and figures, you know, what are your chances of getting erectile dysfunction or what are your chances for recovering continence? But, you know, patients often want to know more.
0: And also, uh, just the way it tends to work, um, especially in a big centre like this, is you, we don't have that much time with our patients beforehand. You know, we They're very often second opinions. They've come in with a lot of information already, and then we get a, a short, relatively short consultation uh, here in the, in the public system to be able to um, you know, talk briefly about the plan and, and affirm that they want to go ahead. So it's quite a short window to prepare a patient, isn't it?
1: That's right, and, and often patients go away and they process that information, and that's when they begin to have questions. So they speak to friends or family members, members, Members who've gone through similar treatments and that's when they get to s- start getting questions. So it's really useful to have people like Emma and Mark who can address those concerns with them.
0: So before we go to them and we have a, a special uh, guest, a patient um, uh, dialing in in a few moments uh, to add uh, his perspective as well on this and we'll introduce uh, Alan in a few moments. What I want to do is, is take everybody back uh, a few minutes to what it was like here when I came to Peter Mac um, 10 years ago. Um, uh, this was a not a high volume prostate cancer surgery centre at that Time uh, that the hospital typically did, you know, between eight and ten open radical prostatectomies uh, back to 2008-9. Uh, and then uh, I, I was recruited in here with a da Vinci robot, and, and the combination of me and the robot turned this place into now a very high volume uh, prostate cancer center doing um, a couple of hundred prostatectomies a year, uh, and what we faced at that time going from 10 prostatectomies a year to 50 or 60 within a few months, uh, um, and, and then up into the high hundreds, was um, well all sorts of challenges that, that we were facing building the service, but Emma, you'll remember what it was like back then because uh, we recruited Emma, who already had a lot of experience um, looking after prostate cancer and other urology patients at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. And you joined Peter Mac, when was it? 2000. 12, 12, was it? Yep. So a year yeah. or two into the program when we were you know, yeah. building a high-volume program. Um, and when we, we recognized at the time that preparing patients for prostatectomy was something that we needed to do better uh, while we dealt with other challenges of building a high-volume uh, prostate cancer program. And and do you want to go back and, and tell us a little bit about the, I suppose, discussions we had then or things we saw or you saw elsewhere uh, that gave you some ideas about how you might uh, help uh, prepare patients for prostatectomy uh, a bit better
2: sure I think we being part of the urology team had our own ideas but it was also just walking onto the ward where the nursing staff haven't looked after these men before and all of a sudden they caught wind of the volume about to come through and it was like well how are we going to best look after these guys and the recovery afterwards I had traveled um, on a travel fellowship to the States, so Memorial Sloan Kettering and Walter Reed and UCLA, so we'd seen how they'd um, approached uh, pre-prostatectomies in a more multidisciplinary sort of holistic approach and then with Nettie over, a nurse over at Guy's um, in London, they had this thing where they had uh, a one-stop shop and they had the anaesthetists, the physiotherapists, everybody that would be involved with the pre-op and post-op care would all meet on the one day with these men. So we sort of had issues or we had discussions regarding that and also it was about, it actually was about the financial implications as well. So you know the urologists were used to and the patients were used to staying three to five days you know, because it was an open radical prostatectomy. So for us coming in from another institution saying, no, they can go home the next day, even some of our urologists were like, oh, no, I don't want my men to go home <laughs> the next day. Or our cohort also we had people coming from the country, so they're like, oh, no, I've got a three-hour drive. I can't go back the next day. So there were a lot of things like that to look into and think, yeah, how can we make these changes?
0: Yeah, and I remember when you'd done your travel fellowship and you'd been overseas, and especially the team at Guy's Hospital in London had set up a very efficient clinic. And the feedback they were getting from patients is that they felt better informed, yeah. which is a theme we're going to explore uh, th- throughout this podcast of feeling better informed uh, about this. And you've reminded me of what it was like. I remember, you know, on the ward, the nurses you know were tr- used to having patients stay in for a few days, had their bowels, yeah, and, and the bowels open. Yeah, can't go home to the bowels. Yeah, can't open your bowels <laughs> open. And of course, we started saying, "Well, look, it's, you know, they're going to open quicker at home. To be honest, in your home yeah. surroundings." and so on but there was a lot of education to be done all throughout the the journey the the pathway um, and you wrote a, a paper about how you set up that uh, clinic, um, uh, and I recall this—you you presented it at the European Association of Urology Nurse Meeting, and it went down very well because you had sketched out what it was like, you know, in a, in a small volume center with open surgery, and then transforming into a high volume center with, you know, next day discharge being a yeah. key a key goal for us. Um, and do you want to talk a little bit about that? And then we've got the paper on the on the table in front of us in the studio today. There were some very nice flow charts about the pre-op preparation and and the flow. Um, in the hospital and we still pretty much use this and, and w- you called the clinic uh, the the row cap clinic
2: yeah we did then and then we sort of transformed it to being robo care because yeah, yeah <laughs> it was the care of the patient and I think in the beginning um, we looked at one year no 18 months and there was 130 patients that had gone through so we sent out a questionnaire because it was great for us to see is this actually working like like you said earlier, Mark, you can see the relief on the patients and their partners after an education session. So it it was great for the hospital and for everybody that was coming in saying their bit, like the anaesthetist, the physiotherapist, the sexual health expert. But to see these patients as they go to leave with their partners and also to hear from the nurses, especially on the wards, saying, oh, yeah, they all sit there and know exactly what they're like aren't you going to sit me out of bed tonight? And the next day, no, no I've packed. I'm going home today. So they were driving their care because they knew what to expect. So that was nice. So we did the questionnaires. We looked into it and and realised that, yes, it was working. There was only – everybody rated things as, like, very good to excellent except for two patients, and one went back to New Zealand, and one preferred seeing his private oncology, uh, urologist face-to-face. And anyway, so then we – wrote this article with a lot of help from Nathan Loren and Sister Van Bruani. S- yeah, yeah. That was really good. And it was great because it was really exactly what we're doing every day. So it was kind of easy to tell you the truth. Not at the time perhaps. <laughs>
3: <laughs> You're being modest.
2: <laughs> no, but it, because it, and I believe that if you actually read it, so if any nurse reads it, it, it's very formulaic. You could actually take this and do this in any public hospital or private hospital. You really could. So then going over to, um, I did, it was was Amsterdam with ERAS and then Madrid with the EAUN. And to be able to stand up and, and believe in it, know it works... And and that they could actually use this over there. They really could. And honestly, in times of COVID, I sit there and think, come on, guys, to be able to get these men out the next day safely and, and have them knowing that we've got your back. You know, you are still, you're not an inpatient in the hospital anymore, but you are still very much our inpatient, but in your own home, which is safer right so we connect with them all the time we give them written information so we look to see if people bounce back with you know um, complications or anything like that and it just didn't happen and most things could be talked through over the phone so like an air blockage in the catheter or constipation or things like that so it prevent them coming into you know big hospitals car parking you know potential for bugs, you know, all of that. It was was good. It was great. And, you know, when you present it overseas and you've actually got doctors there overseas asking you questions and you're (laughs) actually showing to all the other nurses as well, we actually are a huge part of this multidisciplinary team that carry these guys through, you know. I often say, you know, when patients, you take out the catheter and they're going to leak, and I say, don't you worry. It's going to be short-term. And I said, you'll get frustrated, you'll hate it. I say, blame it on Declan. He's the one that did it. <laughs> and they all laugh. And I say, but it'll be short-term. You'll get dry. It, no worries about it, you know. So. I think one of the real
1: challenges uh, when efficiency rises is that, you know, I- the education has to double or triple yeah. to kind of kind of keep up with it yeah. and for a patient to be able to preempt the next step of their care yeah. positively is a fantastic thing and you've obviously got a formula that works and is transferable to many different situations so it's fantastic.
2: And we don't say, to we also say to them because Rocap Clinic, RoboCare is like two hours of intense um, information and we will say to them as well you don't need to remember any of this you know it is just and it is just there so that when somebody presents things to you, they will say, you will say, oh, yeah, I do vaguely remember that. So nothing's like, nobody told me this. You know, God, I hated that when that I first started. And you would have men coming back saying, I didn't get told this. And, you know, that's when you get decision regret and all of that. So, you know. It's
0: good, and uh, one of the one of the simplest things is is catheter education because um, you know after this procedure men will need to go home the next day with a catheter and be prepared for it. And I remember. Uh, in the early days that was one of the issues before you arrived because um, you know, on the, in the next morning uh, we be, and back then we the patients used to have a drain as well so the drain had to come out we stopped that a few years ago and they would need to get leg bag education catheter education plus wounds plus this and you know, hence it was challenging for them to take it all on board they were just recovering from surgery so one of the simplest goals I, I recall you saying early on is if we can teach men about the catheter and watch this you know, on the ward the next day as you say they're, they're almost pushing the ward nurses to say well where's my Velcro where's hmm. this where's I'm right you know blah blah blah, blah. Um, and one of the other things, and uh, we'll go to our guest now in a second, um, I recall in the early days is you wanted to have uh, patients involved because that's what they were doing yeah. at Guy's. So we would get some of our favourite recent patients and say, would you mind coming back for this uh, afternoon education session? There'll be tea and coffee at halftime. And they used to get hounded, didn't they? Yeah, they were it the was m- awesome. It was awesome. They were. What was it really like with the catheter? You know, and, so you know, I'd have two uh,
2: guys and I would always have one that was like, just had their trial avoid so he would be he would stand up and introduce himself first and say you know i just had my prostate out two weeks ago and everybody just looks at them and they'd have their jeans on they'd have a pad in situ and they'd just be like oh i'm gonna get through this you know <laughs> it was good
0: fantastic so um it's great to welcome uh, alan weiss uh, on the line alan uh, can you hear us Yes, I can. Thank you. Thank you. So, Alan White's on Zoom. We can see Alan here in the studio, and and he's looking at us. Welcome, um, and um, um, Mark Diocera, um, who. Um, f- uh, has now inherited much of this clinic from uh, Emma so Emma got it all set up and running she's still here at Peter Mac in in, in slightly different roles and Mark now runs RoboCare uh, as part of um, his role here and he coordinates all of our surgical bookings uh, as well and um, uh, Mark uh, when we talked about doing this podcast uh, we thought it was very important to get uh, a patient perspective of course and,
4: uh, and we chose Alan didn't we? That's right. That's right. Um, from the very beginning, when I inherited this amazing program, when I came into Peter Mack, um, I definitely acknowledged like the importance of that patient perspective. Um, in my experience, it's like no, like no matter how much like I tell patients, they just look at me and just like, well, you didn't have your prostate removed. <laughs> <laughs> right? And like, like even if I try to reassure them that like, you know what, everything I know and everything like how I do my work is actually because I've learned from patients as well. Um, like no, nothing beats actually having someone go through it and have that complement the service. So I've been very lucky to have been introduced with Alan. Um, and I actually met Alan because one of our patients that went through the program mentioned, oh, I actually have someone that has been helping people go through this. I'm like, he, you should probably meet him. And that's actually how I met Alan. Um, so Alan has been a great addition to uh, my practice and the program here in Peter McCallum.
0: Fantastic, and thank you for joining us, um, Alan White. And so I know you on and off for very many years. Uh, you've you've not been a patient of mine, or indeed uh, of Peter Mac, but you've been a great patient advocate. You're involved in a whole pile of different prostate cancer uh, programs here, not just what we're talking about today. And we'll come back to those uh, uh, another time. Um, but but before we came out, came on, uh, we thought we sort of thought you might introduce yourself. And and do so kind of as as Mark suggested in the way that you introduce yourself uh, to our patients and their loved ones uh, when they're coming up to a prostatectomy.
3: Okay, thanks for that, Mark. Look, um, and Declan, of course, and the girls there. Look, I had my surgery nine years ago in a completely different uh, setting, and I think it was important to when I got invited by Mark to let them there is a two difference between what I experienced and they experienced. But once the surgery is over, the incontinence. And the erectile dysfunction kicks in very quickly and i talked about how i had eventually wrote a book about my own experiences with uh, some input from my wife which i think is very important that partners get to hear the woman's perspective if they have a partner of their experience and also there's a website with information so that they get getting information from when somebody's been down that particular journey with their own experiences even simple things like once the catheter comes out you don't know you're leaking So do not wear light colored
0: pants.
3: (laughs) You got got your pull-ups on or your insert, but do not wear light colored pants. Cause I discovered an hour after mine coming out that I had leaked like nobody's business and had leaked right through and a lovely wet patch. So uh, they're those little things that can happen. And so I said, dark pants, dark jeans, no light colored pants. So sounds funny at the time, but it's at the time it was, well, you've got to laugh. What else can you do? So, I feel quite privileged to be able to just give them some feedback about what they may or may not experience and keep reminding them that that you will recover, but every man will be different because being men, we like to fix it. You want a solution and this is how it's going to happen. i say, well, it's 50 shades of gray for prostate cancer. And you, some of you will be really good in six weeks, which really annoys me, but others might take a bit longer. So it depends on your own body. So I think for them to hear that, and see someone who's been down there and had some slip ups along the way, it gives them a reassurance that they're not on their own, that they will have experience and some will get quicker and better than others. So it feels like they're amongst a group of men who've had similar experiences.
0: So Mark, um, can you tell us, uh, just for those out there who might be wondering, how does it work? How does this all work? In the early days, it was every few weeks, there'd be a a kind of a half day session. So tell us how yourself and Alan and and team and who's involved in the team run these um, sessions. And we'll come on in a minute and uh, pretend there's no COVID for the moment and describe how it has worked. And then maybe you can talk about how how you guys are trying to deliver or help prepare patients in the time of a, a pandemic when some stuff's a bit different.
4: Um, so, like very similar to what Emma has described, how RoboCare has run um, through the years. Like I said, I have in de- inver- inherited this fantastic program. So, there's very little that I actually needed to adjust. Um, probably the, the only thing that I needed to be more familiar with was to personalize in, uh, on how I can actually naturally deliver the program. Um, so, um, RoboCare nowadays, um, we run it fortnightly um, because we found that um, a larger group was a little bit trickier to manage, and it, was, it became a little bit less personal um, than what we want the, the patient experience to be. So we run it fortnightly, so on average, we would see normally around four to six patients with their partners or um, other caregivers um, that will accompany them. Um, that's very, very highly encouraged um, from the first point of contact that I have with patients, um, that's the kind of relationship that I try to establish with my patients very early. Um and I find that with that kind of early rapport establishment actually develops that kind of trust um, and comfort that patients would feel. You know what? That's true. You know, like similar to what Emma said, you don't have to remember all of this all the time. Okay. But we want you to feel that you are looked after and that you have a means to always circle back to us if you're actually finding things difficult or confusing because 2 hours of non-stop talking <laughs> big words big medical words it's a lot um, and you know like we we we're very lucky here in Peter Mac that in the pre-covid times somebody gets consented to have their prostate removed they immediately get to meet me on that same spot we get to give them a surgical date so they actually start to plan, to, to, to start planning planning their lives And being able to um, be involved at that first step, being able to assess what else do you need? What do you think will be difficult uh, moving forward? How else can I help you? um, That really boosts that kind of service and really kickstarts that, you know, reasonably acceptable experience. Because we have to remember that none of these patients volunteer to be in that position. Um, So it's very, very important to recognize that early on.
1: It's really, it's really interesting, isn't it? And I, I often find that um, one of the biggest challenges I face is actually getting men to open up and talk and ask the relevant questions. Uh, because, Mark, if you think it's hard to counsel patients as someone who still has their prostate, as a woman uh, managing prostate cancer, it can be even more difficult. And I often see patients looking at me as though I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> and that's where I think you really come into it. And I've, And I've really appreciated you, Alan, because you've actually accompanied patients to their appointment um, yeah. with me and, I, and I've seen you in that role and they immediately ease up and they, they know it's okay to ask questions. They don't need to sugarcoat it, sugarcoat it. They don't need to tiptoe around the topic. Ask frankly and honestly about what they want to yeah. know and, and having a partner involved from the start also helps to have that frank conversation.
3: Yeah, it does. I, I'd like to see actually more partners come along the information sessions. I understand there could be reasons why they don't or sitting in zooms, but I think it's important that partners have an understanding of what's, how it's going to affect the relationship That's right. as well. And as I often quote them, and Mark has said as well, it's a couple's journey if they've got a partner. It's not just one person having an operation, off you go. Mm. And you're not walking around with a bandage around your head or half a leg, it's all internal. And it's physically internal, and it's physically, mentally internal. So that it needs to understand there's a complete shift in what's going to go on from, in the uh, process after the operation as well.
1: Absolutely.
0: So in the pandemic times, then, um, how practically are you running this uh, fortnightly program? So it, it happens on Monday afternoons, I think, as far as I recall. That's correct. A physical thing in a, one of our nice meeting rooms at Peter Mac. Uh, men and their loved ones, ho- and that's an important message from Alan. You know that it really helps to have a the support of a loved one physically to hear some of these messages and what life will be like straight after. Um, are you still doing a physical meeting? Uh, where are we now? It's May, May 2020?
4: Yeah, like I was very lucky um, because as part of my master's um, in nursing, I was actually working towards um, um, creating a virtual platform in providing RoboCare. Um, and I aptly named it as Tele-robo-care. <laughs> Not very creative. Um, because that's what it is. It's a, it's a fantastic program. We're just moving it to a telehealth space. Um, so when COVID hit, um, it was a big shock to the system. Um, and with the previous um, Geocost um, um, episodes, you know, we've mentioned about like, the initial shock of, okay, everything is changing. Surgeries, you know, is it stopping? Yes or no? And fortunately, we have taken the stance where, you know what, we're going to continue our work as per normal. We're going to make sure that these patients are supported and are actually preparing for surgery. So when we are able to, it's available, we go ahead straight away. Um, so since March, we have been doing RoboCare via the telehealth platform. And um, like the experience actually has been quite amazing because I came mm-hmm. in with it with such reluctance. I, As a nurse, I considered my, par- my, my practice to require such... A personal, intimate touch into patients' experiences, and like not b- having the physical contact be taken away—really not as an option—I um, found quite daunting. I initially designed a quality improvement project as a slow transition. It's an opt-in program, but unfortunately, it, ne- it wasn't an option. Everybody had to do it via telehealth, and we have we were able to transition it quite easily. Um, I've had Alan extremely supportive with the program as well. He's always been available there to actually still continue to provide a patient perspective. And you know what? All ages, all so situations. Do
2: they all zoom in.
4: Correct, that's Big it. Screen. That's it. <laughs> and, like, you know, like, that's the interesting thing is, like, you know, like, we think that patients will struggle unless we help them. But you know what? You tell the situation to the patient, they will work something out. They will yeah. come in, prepared. And like that's like where, like where that's where I realized the value of you know like really having that partnership with the patient, like the the patient will have will, will, you know actually take some responsibility with their own health. You're there as a support person, and together you can actually continue to improve that experience.
0: Wow! And Alan, what's what's your perspective on the, these the, the the move to a telehealth, um, preparing for prostatectomy, robocare? Using. I think it's
3: a fantastic uh, opportunity for men who live in regional rural areas you can't get in for all sorts of reasons yeah. um and it's uh the way telehealth and medicine is going so um I think mean, it's a great initiative that Mark's you know brought out and you know everyone seems to join in I think we ended up with with the 10 or 11 on the last one Mark I couldn't patients. see all the faces so yeah. they do they do ring in and I think it gives them a sense of comfort that they can do it from their home Yeah. and then probably a bit more relaxed. Uh, I think a couple back one bike, I think one bike might've asked you a question across the bottom at one point about continents. So it gives them a sense of control in some respects. And they're not sitting amongst a room of strangers. And I don't want to ask this question because I'm going to sound silly, but we, when we talk about everything, they get to hear what's going on. I think it's a great initiative. I mean, some point it may become more of a, thing we do for regional rural men so they don't have to drag in for three hours or have to take off early and find parking but certainly you could do a suburban but I also feel that they come into a room of other men and if partners they're all in it together at the same time so either or can work either way it's a great initiative it's not aware of anything else floating around again I
1: think I I think the fact that it's made it so much more accessible to patients who are living remotely is is a great plus isn't it
4: and the series. only thing that I wanted to add to that experience is, like, what we, like, What, what the only thing that I really added to the program was the importance of follow-up and always opening the floor that, you know what, this is a group session, I understand that, there are, like, this experience is pretty intimate for most people. If you actually require additional support or further discussions about anything, take a note of that, I'm happy to have that conversation one-on-one moving forward.
3: yeah.
1: Yeah. Alan, can I ask? I imagine one of the challenges you must face um, is that you've you've had prostate cancer surgery and you've gone through a certain a certain path. And and men will have, like you said before, they may have a very different experience to you. That's so right. how do you counsel patients and prepare them for that?
3: Look, I tell them that uh, it's two different experiences, particularly within Peter Mack and what Peter Mac was offering. Was mine was in a private situation. It was a quick overview. I was given an A4 double-sided sheet, and yes, it was 90 years ago, and there wasn't a lot of information. And as you've said earlier, Declan, um, we didn't have a lot of information. It was learning on the job. I, as Renew said, I didn't know about that, and that's how I was finding out. Whereas this way, men are being given all the information. They know what to expect, and as Marcus said, said, they may forget about it, but they've got their information sheet and they go, oh yes, I remember that conversation there. I know what to expect. So my experience was very narrow. It's 19 years, nearly a decade ago. So things have really changed insofar as information available. But the underlying experiences are very similar. There's incontinence and erectile dysfunction and dealing with the emotional impact. There's just different ways that how men are given information about that. And we also say in that information session that just will affect you mentally as well so make sure you reach out for for assistance so my experience was learning on the job even though my background's in counseling I was learning on the job and eventually took myself off to get some counseling because I was struggling with that mental aspect which most men probably wouldn't think it's going to affect them think it's just an operation I'm getting something cut out but it affects their deep sense of manhood and who they are and how they function as men whether in a partnership or not. So that's there's right. two different it's A it's A and B. Yeah. And they're they're different but they're similar. Yeah.
1: And prostate cancer surgery is really unique in that respect. Yes. Um and I think you're you're right. It's in, it's impossible to prepare patients for every single outcome after surgery, but giving them as much information as possible and getting them to really talk openly and honestly means that they are prepared for any outcome that may happen.
3: Yes, you're right. And even that yeah, that's what I attempt to do. It's you know stepping into areas they don't want to talk about talking about erectile dysfunction or you know continence and i say to men we just don't expect to deal with this stuff we've never have, most men don't do it unless they've got a disability most men out there can take a leak and wake up in an erection and all of a sudden overnight it's gone and i think they have to get their head around well i think they do have to get their head around that because it's not something they're expecting yes i'm losing my prostate oh i'm going to wake up with a catheter that I didn't know either. Well, I may have, but I've forgotten about it. So there's a, it's a deeper underlying effect on them that they, some get it and some don't. And you can see, I think Mark will agree, you can see in their faces, they're hearing it, but you go, they're not getting it still. They're still not quite with it. It's <laughs> for some of them anyway.
2: I think that's right in that um, when we talked about erectile dysfunction, uh as something that can happen after your prostate's out. When we do this in robo-care with a big group as well, I will often say it's not about sex, it's just about another part of your body that you want, we want to get as healthy as what it was prior to your surgery because sometimes you'll have couples that say, look, we're not interested, but yeah. you, you... You feel obliged to let the man know exactly what to expect, that there is not going to be ejaculation anymore and that it might shrink back and and all those physical things as well and that it can affect you emotionally and mentally. So we would have, we'd normally have a psychologist at the end of it to say, look, these times when you're... Going through something like this, it's quite common as well for men to either say nothing or for emotions to be up and down and and to be a little bit short as well. And, And sometimes you will see the wives or the partners saying... Yeah, that's what's going on. And it's okay that everybody does it at different rates as well and on their own way. So, you know, sometimes I would get, or I'm sure you do, you get the partners ringing saying, he's not talking at all, there's something wrong, he's not talking. And it's like, yeah, but that might be the way he always processes things, if you can just be there for him and not, you know, run away. And that's like with the intimacy thing as well, when guys go, I don't want to go there because I can't go there to the end. and I think,
1: I mean, for a lot of men, this is their first real health issue that they've had to face. And so yeah. there's a there are a yeah. lot of hurdles to, to overcome before you even really get to the meat of the discussion.
3: Yeah. And, and what we're going and, to- I, and also um we do make mention of the prostate cancer support groups, which I think the men need to experience to see if it works for them or not. And as I always say to them, this might be useful for you because you're not on your own. You may think at the moment I'm the only man with prostate cancer. And we, you know, so there's, you know, there's twenty thousand men diagnosed every year with that. But if you go to a support group, I've noticed that men have a sense of relief. They get to hear, and actually there's a lot of laughing going on in the support group. just not all doom and gloom, but they feel so much better to hear that other blokes have been down this track and have all had their own experiences, but there's a sense of camaraderie. We've all been through this together. And for some blokes, get some information and you never see them again, and that's okay. But they get a sense they're not on their own. And for some, it's a good support system ongoing. You know, how blokes deal with incompetence or if they have to go on to hormone treatment, how did you heal? that so it's a useful support system and again the importance is that they're informed about support systems whatever it may be and then they can choose to use it or not but if they haven't got that information then they've got nowhere to go and they're left floundering in the wind so it's important they know where to seek that information and then it's up to them to do that
1: absolutely uh, we're sort of nearing the end of our time, Alan, but there is something I've always wanted to ask and I'm going to do it on air now. We, I mean, I've seen you in my clinic several times and we've seen your photo on the front cover of the book that you've written and we know that you love Hawaiian shirts. Where did yes. that come from?
3: Well, I made, I made two trips to Hawaii last century. It was 1992. I actually went over there to learn some Hawaiian healing techniques and the first time I went. I was walking around on the day off, and there was a shop selling all these shirts. And of course, I used to watch Magnum, the I Hawaiian shirts, yep. and they were selling all the originals. So I bought four, right? And then uh, I might bought it. Then the next trip, I didn't have enough money to do that. But then, eventually, when I married back in two thousand eight, that became my birthday and Christmas present, so you could go online and buy them. So I've got a rather collection that fills a cupboard, small cupboard. There's thirty. Unfortunately, a couple of wow. worn out in the back. <laughs> <laughs> so i just love color God. i saw a great saying life is too short for beige
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but that note, and your long-suffering wife fiona has to put up with that but oh she loves the color we're, we're color kittens we both love color Fantastic, and every time P- he turns up to Peter Maco it's often busy in here. You can spot him a mile away. Absolutely. Here comes here comes Alan White <laughs> in today's Hawaiian shirt.
1: Immediately puts a smile on anyone's face, Alan.
0: So we're going yes, to draw it to draw to a close. We are going to explore this again in a, in, a, in, a, in a in a podcast soon to talk about after prostatectomy and uh, with some of you guys involved and others uh, as well to discuss the journey after prostatectomy. Um, but I must say uh, that was. Uh, thoroughly enjoyable to reflect back uh, those cha- those changes that have been brought in over the past 10 years. And I have to congratulate Emma Birch and uh, Mark Diocera for the great work they've done into developing this program. And it continues to evolve. I think that's part of today's mm-hmm. uh, theme, Alan. And uh, hearing your perspective is really important because we do listen to you and uh, all of our patient advocates, um, and because it's so important. That's how we craft these things. That's how you see what what needs to be addressed as you listen to someone who's been through it and, and who's listening to others as, as Alan Hoyt does. So thank you very much, Alan. And we look forward to chatting to you um, on a a future edition and thank you uh, Mark and Emma Uh, it's been lovely to um, have you guys here it's been a very enjoyable edition thanks and yeah we'll we'll, we'll have you all on again uh, very soon I hope we're new absolutely it's been great fantastic thank you very much and uh, from all of us here at Peter Mac at GU cast um, talk to you all soon again